What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the career of actress Charlize Theron, the latest Bond film, No Time to Die, and the movie being The Ricardos. First, let's talk about the career of actress Charlize Theron. One of her earliest roles was in Tom Hanks' directorial debut, That Thing You Do, with Tom Everett Scott, Steve Zahn, and Liv Tyler. I absolutely love this movie. It's one of my favorites. It has one of the best songs in movie history. It is just a fun, feel-good movie. She also had roles in The Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino, The Cider House Rules with Tobey Maguire and Michael Caine, and The Yards with Mark Wall. Wahlberg and Joaquin Phoenix. And there were some early signs that Theron was an actress worthy to watch, but the year that Theron became a full-fledged movie star was definitely 2003. First with a star-studded heist film, The Italian Job with her, The Yards co-star Mark Wahlberg, Jason Statham, and Edward Norton. And in Monster, where she played serial killer Eileen Warnos. For that role, she won the Oscar for Best Lead Performance in the year since it has become infamous for being one of those movies where the performance was heavily rewarded for a major physical transformation. Fair or not, that is how people feel about that movie. Therein is not Daniel Day-Lewis, but she clearly likes to change her appearance for each role, most evident in Monster, where again she won an Oscar, Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of the most glaring transformations ever, hard to believe while watching that that that's Charlize Theron, and in Bombshell, where she looks like Megyn Kelly. I mean, I kind of go back and forth with performers like that. I like that Daniel Day-Lewis goes all in and looks different for each movie. I like Charlie's Theron looking very different in Mad Max Fury Road, but I also really love natural performers who are just themselves. Like, George Clooney is just himself in most films. Julia Roberts is just herself in most movies. They don't have to go through physical transformations. I just want to see them because they are movie stars. But what Therin does is undeniably effective. Therin is a terrific dramatic actress, but some of her best work has occurred in action movies. Mad Max Fury Road, one of the best action films ever, Atomic Blonde, which is brilliant, and The Old Guard, which was a massive hit on Netflix. She's also been in other notable blockbuster movies, Prometheus, part of the Alien franchise, and she's been in two of the Fast and Furious films, The Fate of the Furious, in F9. We don't talk about that enough, how this generation has been the best era of female action stars. I mean, we've had Angelina Jolie, we've had Scarlett Johansson, we've had Charlize Theron. I'd also add Emily Blunt to that list. It has been a great era for female action stars, and Theron has been a big part of that. Theron is widely considered one of the best actresses on planet Earth, and rightfully so, but she is someone who has been in a lot of bad movies. Reindeer Games with Ben Affleck, Men of Honor with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro, The Legend of Bagger Vance with Matt Damon and Will Smith, Hancock again with Will Smith, Snow White and the Huntsman with Kristen Stewart, and 500 Ways to Die in the West with Seth MacFarlane. She's also someone who's not great in everything. It's weird. There's no one else like her where it feels like there's no in-between. She's either great in a movie or largely forgettable. Like, you never have seen an iffy Charlize Theron performance. And I think of that as a compliment because it shows she's making some big choices that either really work or really don't. The best 
year of Theron's career, in my opinion, is 2019, where she was nominated for an Oscar for playing Megan Kelly in Bombshell, an imperfect movie with a lot of great performances, and she starred in the romantic comedy Long Shot with Seth Rogen. This is like the modern take on Aaron Sorkin's The American President with a gender role reversal. It's delightful and one of the most underrated comedies of the 2010s. This year shows the Ron's incredible range as an actress. I was more impressed with her in Longshot than in Bombshell. I think she should have been nominated for an Oscar for Longshot. I mean, Seth Rogen has not had that kind of undeniable chemistry with a co-star since Knocked Up with Katherine Heigl. That's how good Charlize Theron is in that movie. She proves she can be in comedies. My favorite performance of Theron's career is as Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road. The first time you watch this movie, you think it's going to be the Tom Hardy show and soon realize it's her movie. This is one of the best performances in an action film ever. The character has become iconic to the point where there is a spin-off happening with Anya Taylor-Joy playing Furiosa. It will be difficult for Joy to match Theron's performance. The most underrated performances of her career came in two films she made with Jason Reitman. First, with young adults, she plays a writer who is struggling to move on with her life as an adult. She looks back at her past fondly and wants to relive it. She has fantastic chemistry with Patton Oswalt in this movie. I love Charlize Theron in Young Adult. And then you have Tully, where she is playing a character who is dealing with postpartum depression after the birth of her second child. I love the scenes between her and Mackenzie Davis, and I think the twist of the movie is brilliant. Theron and Jason Reitman have become one of my favorite director-actress duos. And it's worth noting that Young Adult and Tully were both written by the wonderful screenwriter Diablo Cody, who is most famous for writing Jason Reitman's hit Juno. Theron's next films include The School for Good and Evil, co-starring Kerry Washington, Lawrence Fishburne, and Ben Kingsley, and The Old Guard 2. Here are the Charlize Theron performances I highly recommend you check out. The Yards, The Italian Job, Monster, Young Adult, Prometheus, Mad Max Fury Road, Kubo and the Two Strings, which is one of the most unique animated films ever, Atomic Blonde, Tully, Longshot, and Bombshell. Now let's switch gears and talk about the movie No Time to Die. Here's a quick synopsis. James Bond is forced to come out of retirement to help his old friend CIA agent Felix Leiter rescue a scientist who has invented a deadly weapon. I'm late on this movie, I know, but I've wanted to see it desperately. It's the final Daniel Craig James Bond movie and I think this movie for the most part lived up to my very high expectation. The film obviously stars Daniel Craig along with Lashana Lynch, Leia Sudu, Naomi Harris, Ben Wishaw, Ana de Armas, Jeffrey Wright, Christoph Waltz, Billy Manguson, Rory Kinnear, and Rafe Fiennes. The standout performances come from Daniel Craig who has always been a brilliant Bond. Very few actors over the last decade and a half have been as good playing an iconic character. Maybe only Robert Downey 
Downey Jr. as Iron Man can claim the same thing. This is a really good send-off for a great actor, who many argue probably through recency bias is the best Bond ever. Ana de Armas in this movie gives the definition of a scene-stealing performance, and I have to say it's one of the dumbest decisions ever by a blockbuster movie not to make her a main character in this film. She is on screen, she does some really cool stuff, she goes away, you think she's going to come back, and then she doesn't. Lashana Lynch is playing a character who takes the mantle of 007 during Bond's retirement, and she gives a fun performance and has playful chemistry with Craig. And finally, Rami Malek is a formidable Bond villain. He's not as good as Mads Mikkelsen or Javier Bardem, but he's far better than Christoph Waltz. And this movie has kind of restored my faith in Rami Malek. He really was not good at all in The Little Things with Jared Leto and Denzel Washington, but he is very good in No Time to Die. You can next see Daniel Craig reprise his role as Benoit Blanc in Knives Out 2, and Ana de Armas in Blonde, a film where she's playing Marilyn Monroe, Deep Water with Ben Affleck, and The Gray Man with Ryan Gosling, and her Knives Out co-star, Chris Evans. No Time to Die was directed by Kerry Fukunaga, who is best known as the director of Season 1 of True Detective, with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, who many, including myself, argue is one of the best television shows of all time. He's an odd choice considering his film career consists of mostly indies, Beast of the Southern Wild with Idris Elba and Jane Eyre with Michael Fassbender and Mia Wojcikowska. But since Sam Mendes directed Skyfall Inspector, these are the kind of auteur filmmakers the franchise has been going with recently. The movie has everything you want as a Bond fan. Thrilling action, good performances, a solid villain, and a plot that keeps you on your toes. What's interesting about No Time to Die is that in a lot of ways it is a typical Bond movie, but it's different in that you kind of have had to have seen the other Craig Bond films to follow what's going on, and that's both a good and a bad thing. I think of Bond as mindless fun, but I also find it admirable that the filmmakers want to make great movies. The big question now is, where should the franchise go from here? I think like a lot of people, they should do a more fun tone with the next set of films because you have to do something different. The Daniel Craig Bond movies were really serious so the next one should be more comedic and everyone wants Tom Hardy, Idris Elba or Dev Patel but it's not going to be someone who's already that super famous. I mean Daniel Craig had been in a few movies Road to Perdition. He was also very well known for Layer Cake but that was it. He was not super famous yet. It's got to be someone who you know but yet isn't quite that famous. I think a good choice would be George Mackay. He was really good in 1917. He's a good actor. He's not yet a household name and I think he'd make a very good James Bond. Here's my official ranking of all five of the Daniel Craig James Bond films. Number five, Quantum of Solace. This is the worst thing a Bond film can be. Boring and forgettable. It has a bad villain. It feels like a mandated sequel that a lot of people involved did for the paycheck. Number four, Spectre. The action is fine, but I expected a way better performance from two-time Oscar winner Christoph Waltz. The movie lacks excitement. It's not as bad as most say it is, but it's not an ideal Bond movie. Number three, No Time to Die. Not a perfect movie, but very entertaining and even touching at times.
times, and it does a good job of connecting all five Craig Bond films, and they really went for it with that ending. Number two, Casino Royale. From the jump with that incredible black and white sequence, you knew you were in for something special. Mads Mikkelsen is a great villain, and Craig brings it in his debut as James Bond. And number one, Skyfall is the obvious choice. It's the gold standard for not just Bond, but modern action films. It's got a great hero in Bond and an incredible villain performance from Javier Bardem. I'd recommend you check out all five Daniel Craig Bond movies and definitely check out No Time to Die. Now let's switch gears one final time and talk about the movie Being the Ricardos. Here's a quick synopsis. All during one week, Lucille Ball is dealing with problems in her public and personal life while making an episode of her hit TV show, I Love Lucy. I wanted to check this movie out because of its writer and director, Aaron Sorkin. I, like a lot of people, think Aaron Sorkin is the greatest living screenwriter. And I disagree with many. I think he's a pretty good director as well. I like Molly's Game, and I really enjoy The Trial of the Chicago 7. So I definitely wanted to see Being the Ricardos. And for the most part, I like this movie. The film stars Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, J.K. Simmons, Tony Hale, Nia Arianda, Aaliyah Sawcat, and Jake Lacey. And the standout performances come from Nicole Kidman, who was given the near-impossible task of playing Lucille Ball in Everyone was talking about the fact that she does not look like Lucille Ball, but that does not matter because she's Nicole Kidman, a movie star. And I find it really interesting that nobody's talking about this. This is not the first time Kidman has been in a movie about an iconic sitcom character. She was in the failure that was Bewitched with Will Ferrell, where she played a witch who was playing Samantha on a reboot of Bewitched. Yeah, it didn't make sense then, and it doesn't make sense now, and it was not a very good movie, but she is really good as Lucille Ball. So in a weird way, this movie feels like a redemption movie for Kidman. And then you have Javier Bardem, who is an Oscar-winning actor for No Country for Old Men, yet he feels underrated. He's been brilliant in Collateral and Skyfall. Bardem had a super impressive 2021. He had a scene-stealing role in Dune, and he's really good as Ricky in this. He and Kidman have solid chemistry. J.K. Simmons in this movie, being the Ricardos, gives his best performance since Whiplash, and I would not be surprised for him to get a nomination for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. And finally, Aaliyah Shawkat is super underrated. She starred in two of the most underappreciated shows in TV history, Arrested Development and Search Party. In this movie, she plays Madeline Pugh, who along with Bob Carroll, who is played by Jake Lacey, wrote every episode of I Love Lucy. The film depicts their friendly rivalry to be the funniest writer on the show. I also love Shawkat scenes with Nicole Kidman. I like being the Ricardos, but did not love this movie. It is far and away the weakest of Aaron Sorkin's free directorial efforts. The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Molly's Game are both far superior. I think, however, Sorkin is a better director than he's given credit for. All three of his films he's directed have great movie star performances. Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba in Molly's Game 
Fame, Eddie Redmayne, Sasha Baron Cohen, and Yaya Abdul-Bateen, along with Michael Keaton in The Trial of the Chicago 7, and with Being the Ricardos, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are terrific. This movie is far from a masterpiece, but one criticism of Sorkin that I am sick and tired of hearing is that he rewrites history and plays with the facts of what really happened in these real-life events. Most notably in The Social Network, Steve Jobs, Molly's Game, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and again with Being the Ricardos. And I feel like this needs to be said. I do not go to movies for facts. I go to movies for entertainment and all of these films deliver on that. Social Network and Steve Jobs are two of my favorite films ever and if you are looking to know what truly happened, read a book or a newspaper article. And another thing in this, when most people play with the facts in movies, they do it to protect the real life people the films are based on and that is not the case. What Sorkin does is he does it for the name of entertainment's sake. I don't care that the three major events portrayed in this movie, being the Ricardos, did not happen during one week. Movies play with timelines all the time and will continue to do so. Aaron Sorkin is not the only human being that does this. The most interesting thing about being the Ricardos is Lucy's motivation for the show was basically to live her ideal dream life with her husband and just how connected the show was to her personal life. The show was what she wanted her life to be. We always look at these sitcoms as escape for the audiences. We never look at them as escape for the performers. Let's talk about this movie's Oscar chances. Kidman has a real shot to get nominated for Best Lead Actress because a lot a lot of people didn't think she could pull off the role and she does more than that. Kidman's last nom was in 2017 for Lion, so I think it's time that Kidman gets another nomination. I would be surprised if Javier Bardem gets nominated. There's way too many other great leading performances this year and I have a feeling that J.K. Simmons will get nominated for his performance in Best Supporting Actor. And finally, you can never count out an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. He's been nominated four times for the social network for which he won Moneyball Molly's Game and the Trial of the Chicago 7. I also find it insane that he was not nominated for Steve Jobs. I would be shocked if Aaron Sorkin gets nominated for Best Director. If he can't get a nomination for the Trial of the Chicago 7, there's literally no chance he gets nominated for Being the Ricardos. There are other worthy directorial efforts. I mean, Denis Villeneuve for Dune. You could see Ridley Scott for the last duel. There are just way too many better directors who directed better films. Aaron Sorkin's career is kind of in the same place as Charlie Kaufman. Like both of them are directing some really good movies, but uh, the majority of people think that they are better writers than they are filmmakers and I think they're wrong on both accounts but both of these guys are not going to get nominated for best director anytime soon. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they already have Oscars as writers Again, Sorkin won an Oscar for Best Screenplay for The Social Network, and Charlie Kaufman won Best Screenplay for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So we already view them as great writers. We don't want to view them as great directors. It's like in real life. We don't want to view people as more than one thing, even though I think these two are really good, two formidable directors. And most people want Sorkin and Kaufman to go back to writing movies directed by great directors. 
like David Fincher or Spike Jones. That's just the label that these two have been given, even though they are really capable of directing the movies that they've written. I mean, I really liked I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and with Sorkin, I really like Molly's Game, I really like The Trial of the Chicago 7, and I enjoyed being the Ricardos. But you can't deny that their best movies have been directed by other people other than themselves. Again, The Social Network was directed by David Fincher. Steve Jobs was directed by Danny Boyle. For Charlie Kaufman, Adaptation was directed by Spike Jones. Being John Malkovich was directed by Spike Jones. And Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was directed by Michelle Gondry. So they don't get credit for those movies. They get credit for writing those movies, but they weren't the directors at the helm. So when they direct movies, they both often get the same criticism. This movie would be way better if Bennett Miller were the director or if Spike Jones were directing this movie. And I think that's an unfair criticism. I want Charlie Kaufman to keep directing movies and I definitely want Aaron Sorkin to keep directing movies because his dialogue, he gets great movie star performances even in the movies he directs. Overall, Being the Ricardos is a solid movie that bites off a little bit more than it can chew, but it has everything I want in a Sorkin film, great dialogue, and riveting performances. I definitely recommend you check out the movie Being the Ricardos. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney, and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This week, I put the spotlight on the career of actress Charlie Theron and the movies No Time to Die and Being the Ricardos. Next week, I'm putting the spotlight on free films, The Card Counter, starring Oscar Isaac, Respect starring Jennifer Hudson and The Lost Daughter starring Olivia Coleman. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs>